Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. So we are in this series called The Awe of God, and we are following along in a book that was written by John Bevere, and it's called The Awe of God, and it's a six-week devotional. Every chapter is about three to five minutes long to read. It's fantastic. And what he does is he uh, walks us through these moments in scripture where we see this phrase, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And if you're kind of new to Christianity, you're kind of like, what does that mean? Maybe you've heard some old timey people say, you know, them them is God fearing people. Y'all heard that before? Them is God fearing people, right? And and you're like, what are are they like scared? Are they cowering in the corner? Like, cause God's, you know, God exists or or what what does this mean? So I just want to remind you of what fear means. In fact, if you can just throw that slide up there for me, it means the awe, the terror, reverence, amazement, respect, to honor, to stand in awe of. That's what that word means in the Bible. It's this this sense of this deep, deep respect and reverence, right? To to stand in awe of. And this word awe, like what what is that? We we don't probably use that that much. A, A feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. So this is deep respect, and it's mixed with fear or wonder, and this is the fifth week of this series, if you can believe it, and we are into what we call the dessert. Oh, this is the end of the series. We have one more week, okay? And this is where we can just talk about, like, what are the good promises of God that come with this fear of the Lord? And today, I want to talk about the friendship and the fear, do I have any Matt Redmond fans that know the old song, The Friendship and the Fear? These are very special people right here, okay? Just, just rub their shoulders and, and get whatever anointing they have, okay? Because that song is just awesome, all right? And the question I want to begin with is this. Have you ever given serious thought to becoming God's friend? Have you ever given serious thought to becoming God's friend? For most of us, our bar is super low, right? We're just trying not to blow up our lives most days. We're trying not to be a jerk, right? I'm just trying not to sin too bad, right? Our bar is so low. And if I could do anything this morning, I just want to stir in you a hunger for the friendship of God that you would desire, that you would want to become a friend of God. And maybe you're here today and you came to church because you know going to church is, is a good thing to do in, in, in general, right? Or, or maybe you know that it's good for your kids, right? It, you're, you're, you're here because you were today, you're like, I'm trying not to blow up my life. Or I just blew up my life, and I know that God's my only hope, and I'm here today. It, it, it could be that you have a drug problem, meaning you got drugged to church today by somebody, right? <laughs> the kids in the room were like, ah, oh, mom and dad made me come. 
right? You, you got drug, or you came here to strengthen your faith, right? You want to deepen your faith, or, or maybe you have a passion for the church. Like there's, there's a desire in you for the church. You love to be among the people of the church. You, 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 you love this, right? But did you come this morning thinking about the friendship of God? You probably came expecting to see some people, some, to meet some new people, to shake some hands, to, to sing some songs, to pray, to open the Bible and to read it. But did you come expecting the friendship of God? Was that on our list? Um, this week, I got to go for two nights to Galveston. There was an, uh, a pastor's getaway that I got to be a part of, and it was fantastic. And I met a man named James Cato, who's a pastor from Uganda, Kampala, Uganda, which is a massive city of like four point something million people that all live in Kampala, Uganda. And um, he was just the most delightful, humble person. If you've ever met these people, they just, they just, they're so kind and they're so humble. And he's like that, right? And um, we finally got to sit down over breakfast on the last day. And we started talking, and you know, as a pastor, you know, you're not born a pastor, you become one, right? Just like you're not born a Christian, you become one. So I always ask the question, like, how did God trick you into ministry, right? That's the question. How did God dupe you into doing this? And tell me your story. He said, I went to Bible college. And in Bible college, I just had this hunger for God. Like, I just, it was, I don't know what it was. I was just, I just had this stirring, a hunger for God. I wanted God. And so what I would do is I would fast. And I would fast for like 40 or 50 days, which if you've ever done a 40 or 50 day fast, it's like, wow, some people just die. Okay, he's still alive. And so we fast for 40 or 50 days. And at the end of the fast, the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm calling you to be a pastor. And the Lord opened these doors and he just began to tell me story after story of how he would just seek the Lord and he would fast and he'd pray and then he would hear an audible voice in the middle of the night or he would have this, this vision or dream and God would say, plant the church there and he would go out in faith and he would raise the money, he would buy this piece of land before he ever planted the church. It was like story after story of just this amazing adventure of following Jesus. And as he's telling me the story, I'm sitting there thinking, I am sitting with a friend of God. I'm sitting with a friend of God. And I asked him the question, how do you know when you need to fast? Because fasting, if you're a Houstonian, it's like the one thing you don't want to do, right? Can, can we be honest? We don't have a whole lot going on in Houston, Texas. We don't have any cool mountains to go look at or anything like that. But you know what we have? We have green grass, we have good jobs, and we have food, okay? We have, that's one of the few things we have. And so I'm like, how do you know when you need to fast? Is there a, you know, a, a question that you have, something that you're praying about? And he goes, no, no. I just want God. a friend of God. He's just one 
of four point something million people in Kampala, Uganda, on a globe full of eight point something billion people. And the Lord speaks to him and reveals himself to him and tells him what to do. Why? Why? This morning, I want to look at Psalm 25 because I I think what David, the the author of this psalm, does is he's, by the way, another friend of God, and he helps us connect this this concept of the fear of the Lord that we've been talking about in the friendship of God. And this is a beautiful psalm. The, The whole psalm is amazing, and you would do well to read the whole thing. But I just want to focus on three verses. This is verse 12, 13, and 14 of Psalm 25. And so I'll read it for us. We have it on the screen for you as well. Here's what it says. Who is the person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he reveals his covenant to them. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have this beautiful verse, and twice we see this fear of the Lord, and he says this in verse 14, that the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. And I, uh, I read multiple translations of the Bible. And if you have an ESV Bible, it says it this way. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to him his covenant. So of course, I start digging into this, this you know, original Hebrew word for secret counsel, and here's what it means. A company of persons in close deliberation. It's like two or three people coming together closely, and they're talking to one another about something, and it's, it's a picture of intimacy. What it says is this, the friendship of the Lord or the intimacy of God is for those who fear him. And it's like this picture of close deliberation. They're communicating with each other. The friendship of the Lord. And so I just want to spend a few moments together just talking about what does this mean for us. And I think it's important that we first recognize the surprising truth that it is possible to become a friend of God. Now, I know that's a super simplistic statement, but like I said earlier, most of us, our bar is so low that probably becoming a friend of God is not really even on the radar for us. It's just not something that we're aspiring to. And what I want to say to us is the goal of Christianity is not not sinning. Okay? The goal of Christianity is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That God wants relationship with his people. And he moved heaven and earth to make it happen, sending his son on a cross to die for us, to take this boulder of sins that separate us from him. And he He removes, he washes it away so that we can be united to him. It's friendship, it's relationship, and it's possible. 
There's people all over our Bibles that were called a friend of God. I'll, I'll list some of them. In Genesis 5.24, there's a man by the name of Enoch, and it says that Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. Wow. Enoch, a human being, he walked in such a close relationship with God that instead of dying, the Lord's just like, no, whoop, brings him right up. Skip the whole dying part. Just come on up, man. Let, let, let's get even closer. <laughs> then we have Noah in Genesis 6. And the one thing we know about Noah is that Noah walked with God. He walked with God. We have Abraham in James chapter 2, verse 23 says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Another friend of God. Exodus 33 verse 11 tells us about Moses and it says the Lord would speak with Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his, his friend. Just as a man speaks with his friend. We have Elijah who walked so closely with God that when, when he was going to die that the chariots of fire come and they pick him up and take him into heaven. It's like, wow, friends, of God, and there's plenty of others all over the Bible, friends of God. Now, when I was growing up, and you started talking about stuff like this, like becoming a friend of God, a lot of church people were like, oh gosh, please don't become a weirdo, right? Don't become one of those religious nut jobs. Don't become a religious fanatic, right? Don't get carried away and become one of those weird, super spiritual people, right? And so there's a little bit of a thing in us that when we talk about this, we have a little bit of a pause. We're like, ah, I don't know about this, Chris. This seems a little bit too far. And I'll tell you, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been in ministry for a long time, and I've seen some weird stuff, Okay. And I just want to say that the friendship of God, the friendship of the Lord, is not weird religious fanaticism. It's not getting a new revelation of what the Bible really means. If you have one of those, you're not a friend of God. You're a cult leader, okay? It's not a new interpretation. Did you know that revelation is not something new? It's just something that's new to you. It's the eternal, timeless truth of God. And all of a sudden, the Lord just makes it real to you. You're like, oh, and it clicks. That's called revelation, right? And there's some that might seem to have this strong relationship with God, and they're just kind of weird. And those people draw a lot of people to themselves. But what might be true is they might just have really strong opinions or even strong delusions, and I'm not talking about any of those things. I found this quote from Oswald Chambers. I think it's beautiful. This is from his classic devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, on January 7th. If you have it, you want to go read the whole thing for yourself. And here's what he says about being intimate with God. He says, when we once get intimate with Jesus, we are never lonely. We never need sympathy. We can pour out all the time without being pathetic. That's pretty awesome, without being pathetic. The saint who is intimate with Jesus will never leave impressions of himself. 
but only the impression that Jesus is having unhindered way. Get this, because the last abyss of his nature has been satisfied by Jesus. The only impression left by such a life is that of the strong, calm sanity that our Lord gives to those who are intimate with him. So not religious, weird fanaticism, a strong, calm sanity that comes from intimacy with God, the friendship of the Lord. And by the way, fearing the friendship of the Lord is the opposite of fearing the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is not being scared of God, it's being terrified of living apart from God. So it's this thing in us that whenever we see God and we see how amazing and awesome and breathtaking and and awe-inspiring he is, it's like we're just drawn deeper into him. We just want more and more. We, we, We just kind of become consumed by the wonderfulness of our God. It's the friendship of the Lord. And we we see Jesus speak about this in John 15, 15. Here's what Jesus says. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. And what he's saying is the same thing that the psalmist said. The friendship of the Lord is the secret counsel of the Lord. I'm telling you everything. I'm letting you in on what I'm doing. It's the friendship of the Lord. It's a restoration of the creation order. We sang about that in that song. I didn't know Jason was going to do that song, uh, The Dove, that last song. And he says, made to live as a friend of God. It's like, oh, That's what we were made for, this this Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day. It's like Jesus came to restore this kind of relationship with him in us. He delights in it. And the friendship of the Lord exists. It's possible. You can become a friend of God. But this brings us to our second point. It's this. God isn't friends with everyone. Now, that sounds really harsh, and I don't mean it to be harsh, but here's what the psalmist told us. Who is the person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. Verse 14, the secret counsel of the Lord, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. It's not for everyone. And please don't misunderstand me. God is kind to everyone. He is friendly towards everyone. He loves the entire world, the whole world. He loves them. But he's not friends with everyone. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, there's this one section on on called loving your enemies. And he says, love your enemies and be like your father. And here's what he says about the father. 
He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous, meaning the Lord is showing kindness to everyone. Just like you hope your, your children are just kind to everyone, right, parents? You, you know what I'm saying? You go into public and you're like, oh, please, please don't be rude right now. Please be kind, right? You have that feeling, right? It's like you, you just want them to be kind and kind to everyone, but you know they're not friends with everyone. And it's like the Lord is like this. He is so merciful. He is so kind. He's so good. He has loving kindness. And yet he reserves the secret counsel only for those who fear him. It's only for those who fear him because friendship is intimacy. And I, th- I think uh, for us, it's, uh, it, 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 it's one of those difficult things to talk about because we're so grace-oriented, right? So we know it's, it's, we're not saved by works. But yet, there's something about a person that becomes the friend of God. I, I remember uh, years ago, if you know my story, I was a worship leader for like 22 years before becoming a, a lead pastor. So I was this guy. I was up here playing the songs on Sunday morning, and there was this one song that we used to sing back in the day called, I Am a Friend of God. And it would say, uh, I am a friend of God. Y'all, y'all know that song? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. And we'd sing that song, right? And I'd look out over the congregation, and everyone's like, yeah, I'm a friend of God. Woo! Right? And I was thinking about all the people in the church singing this song, and then like all the people like across the globe that were singing this song. And then I had this thought one morning as I was leading the song was, like, really? Are we like, are we lying in church? Are you a friend of God? Because there's a passage in James 4, and James is pretty hardcore, and he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Not only is it possible to be a friend of God, it's possible to be the enemy of God. And he's talking to believers who are friends with the world. And I'm wondering if it's like, I am a friend of God, but I look at porn. I am a friend of God, but I sleep around. I am a friend of God, but I get drunk. I am a friend of God, but I still like to gossip. I am a friend of God, but I'm full of bitterness. I am a friend of God, because I have unforgiveness. I am a friend of God. If you cross me, I'll cut you. I am a friend of God, but I covet your possessions. I am a friend of of God. I rarely open my Bible. I am a friend of God, and I never pray. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Really? Really? I'm not being mean, because I'm not perfect. No one in here is perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. But is it, are we just naming and claiming a promise? Are we blabbing and grabbing something? Because there is a verse in the Bible that says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. 
And we forget that the verse before that says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And here's my command, love one another. It's conditional. It's not for everyone. It's for the ones who fear the Lord, as we talked about last week, who tremble at his word. I uh, was reading John Bevere talking, or he was teaching on this, and he shared an illustration from Genesis 13 that I'd never thought of before. And if you know the story of Abraham and Lot, God speaks to Abraham and he tells him to go to a land, to leave his family and to go to a land that he will show him. Now that takes so much faith to think, hey, I'm not even going to tell you where you're going, but I want you to leave all of your family and go. And then I'll show you along the way. But Abraham, the man of faith, the friend of God, he goes and he leaves. And it says he travels with his nephew, Lot. And they finally come to this place, this land. And the, their uh, possessions have increased. Their herds have increased. And the land cannot support both Abraham and Lot. And so one day, Abraham says to Lot, he says, look, you take the pick of the land. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. You, you pick whatever you want. I'll go the other way. But we, we cannot have uh, this uh, you know, strife between us. And Lot, he surveys the land. And he sees this nice land. And it's all around this area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, I like this piece. And he, he pitches his tent near Sodom. Abraham goes the other direction. Later in Genesis chapter 18, three men come to Abraham and it's the Lord and two angels. And when Abraham realizes it, he begs them to stay and he's like, honey, make some bread, like get something stirred up in the kitchen. Young man, go, go get the fattened calf. Like, let's make a meal. And he begs them to stay. And, and they, they have this great conversation. It's the moment where the Lord says, hey, I know you're really old, but you're going to have a kid. And it's going to be Isaac. And Sarah laughs and that whole thing, right? It's a whole nother sermon. But after that, here's what the Lord says. And this is Genesis 18, 17. It says, the, the Lord said, should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? Should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? And when you read that, you, you hear the friendship of God, the secret counsel. Should I hide this from my friend? And he tells him this, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah has reached my ears, and I'm going to search it out, and we are going to destroy the city. And Abraham he remembers his nephew, Lot, and he has this beautiful exchange where he says, okay, Lord, now, if there were 50 righteous people there, surely you wouldn't destroy it, right? You're not like that, are you, God? He says, if there are 50 righteous people, I will not destroy it. Abraham's like, mm, that's a wicked place. Okay, maybe there's five less than 50. I mean, if there's five less than that, surely you would not destroy the land. And the Lord's like, okay, if there's 45, cool. I, I, I will let it stay. Pardon me, Lord. I mean, if, if I could just ask. And he works them all the way down to 10. Okay, 10 people in this whole city that are righteous. And apparently there weren't 10. And it's a wicked, wicked place. 
And the Lord goes and he rescues Lot, right? Lot's wife looks back, she turns to a pillar of salt. You know the story. But the Lord rescues Lot and his two daughters. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us that both of those men were righteous. Both were righteous. To use common vernacular for us, we would say they were both believers. They were both Christians, right? They believed in God. They were righteous before him. But one of them knows what God's going to do, and the other one is just as clueless as the rest of the world. What's the difference? Could it be that Lot, he was righteous before the Lord, but he did not fear him. And he did not have the secret counsel of the Lord. Or could it be that when he pitched his tents next to Sodom, that there was a mingling, like, like we, we use the word carnal Christian. I've never heard that before. It means just worldly. Like you're just, you're not sanctified. You're not, you're not in the way of the Lord yet. You're still kind of mixed up in the, in the world. And it's like he was mixed up in the world. And when the Lord is looking for the people to share his secrets with, he passes over Lot and he goes to Abraham and he's like, how can I hide this from him? It's the secret counsel of the Lord, and it's not for everyone. It's for the friends of God that fear him. And here's the thing. He isn't friends with everyone, but he can be friends with you. He can be friends with you. And this leads us to our third point. We have to understand the friendship of the Lord is a two-way street. In this psalm, if you read the rest of the psalm, it's beautiful. David says in verse four, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. In verse eight, we see the merciful thing. The Lord is good and upright, therefore he shows sinners the way. Wow. Verse 11, Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. We see this honest exchange, this back and forth between David and the heart of God. In verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm alone and afflicted. Guard me and rescue me, right? It's just this back and forth of honest exchange between David and the heart of God. It's the back and forth of relationship. And I think for us, because we're grace people, we, we know the, the verse that says, for you are saved by grace through what? Faith. Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, right? not from works so that no one can boast. Yeah, we're grace people. How, that's not how we're saved. We didn't earn our way into a relationship with God. He just forgave us. All we did was trust and believe, right? And because we're grace people, when we start talking about doing something, right, to the Lord, there's something that's is like, wait, whoa, whoa. I thought it was just faith, man. It's just faith, right? And we can err on this, like we don't do anything, because it's all grace. Or on the other side, 
through faith, and if you're a faith person, and if you ever prayed for somebody to be healed and they didn't get healed, and you're like, I just didn't have enough faith. And then you turn faith into like this formula, this ladder that you climb. If, if I have more faith, then God will do what I want him to do, and I can rub the, the lamp, and the genie will come out, and he will grant my wishes. We have this genie in the bottle idea because it's faith. It's faith. And we err on turning these things into a formula, of getting God to twist his arm and say, well, I fasted for 40 days, so you better show up. But we see this friendship, it's grace and it's faith. It's not one or the other, it's not one way, it's literally, it's a two way. That, here's the thing, the fear of the Lord possesses what the grace of the Lord provides. Let me say it again. The fear of the Lord possesses what the grace of the Lord provides. Jesus paid it. He opened the door for you. He said, come on in. Friendship is available to you. It's, it's open to you. I've done everything for it. I've paid for it all. But it's a two-way street. And the only way that we can possess what grace provides is through the awe of God, the fear of the Lord it's a two-way street. And so I just want to ask you this morning, do you want to be a friend of God? If you want to be God's friend, if you want to know his heart, his secret counsel, if you want to hear his voice, if you want to be like my friend James, who's just like having all these amazing times with the Lord, then how do we go about this? Well, I, I just want to point out two things. It just tells us in the scripture that it's for those who fear him. And the awe of God is a magnet for the friendship of God. Really, it's a magnet for the friendship of God. And this friendship and the fear, this calls us to authenticity. Authenticity. Jesus, when he's teaching about prayer, he's correcting some Pharisees that were making a big show of it, if you know that part of the Sermon on the Mount. And they would come out and they'd say, God, thank you so much for all these blessings you've given me. And they had these big flowery prayers. They knew all the Bible verses. They could quote them out loud. And the point was that they would pray and everyone would be like, dang, Duke could pray. Right? And Jesus says, Lula, don't be like the hypocrites. Go into your room and shut the door. Don't let anyone hear. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Jesus isn't against public prayer. He's against hypocrisy, inauthenticity. He's saying, I want you to mean it. Because the Spirit of the Lord knows who means it. It says his eyes are roaming throughout the earth to see whose hearts are fully committed to him that he might strengthen them. He's looking for authentic people who like really want to be the friends of God. It's authentic. Um, we have moments with our boys as we're parenting them and they're making friendships at school and all this kind of stuff. And every now and then something happens with one of those people. And we have the conversation that maybe you parents have had when we say, maybe that person isn't your real friend. 
Because a real friend wouldn't act that way, wouldn't talk that way, wouldn't treat you that way, wouldn't do that to you. And, and I think the Lord is looking for real friends. He, Jesus will, he won't entrust himself to everyone, but to those who are authentically seeking his friendship. And lastly, it calls us to attention. Authenticity and attention. You don't become intimate friends with a person on accident. It just doesn't happen. But it's when you see them and there's, there's something in you that you want to get to know them. You want to listen. You want to ask. You want to talk. There's, there's an attention that you give. And I just want to say to you, church, if you want to become the friend of God, this is available to you, but it's going to require authenticity. It's going to require attention. People who will find Monday through Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they say, like, I just have to get alone, and I just need to spend some time with my Lord. I just need to, I, I need to get in the Word, because I know, like, I, I've just, I, I feel so dull spiritually. I've got to open the Scripture. I've got to, I've got to seek Him. Like, I'm hungry for Him. I need to give Him my attention. It's a two-way street, and I, I know that I know. If this is true of your life, you will become a friend of God. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.